What's up, Brainiacs? We're back. And you know, our guests just keep getting better and better here. If you're gearing up for the season 10 premiere of The Curse of Oak Island, which, quite frankly, why wouldn't you be? It's only the number one rated unscripted show on cable television. I mean, just a small show. We have Maddie Blake with us today, host of everything related to Oak Island, including Beyond Oak Island, which is in its third season right now. Anyways, you're not going to want to miss that interview. Let's do this. Blabberbrains. Welcome back to Blabberbrains show. We're here for another wonderful episode for all you brainiacs out there. I am Michael M. Kadri and the gentleman over there with the glasses on out of his uh, normal uh, rock and roll looking self is the big M. What's happening, sir? Used to having your, your signature sunglasses and hat. What, what are you doing? Is this, is this your Halloween get up? It, Halloween's over. I've been in the middle of doing other things here on a computer and everything, and I was on a, I was on a Teams call and everything. So I'm dressed like a, like I'm working regular. Uh, I was, I was non just saying, non music. You're 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 late for Halloween, brother. You know, I mean, uh, if Everything you're dressing as a writer, but, yeah, makes me well, look like a little a, out of character for you, but uh, we'll, we're we're going to roll with it. So, um, how was uh, Halloween? Did you get a lot of kids this year? No, it was a nightmare. I should really? say nightmare. It sucked. Last year sucked too. And I think w this year we had only 26. Last year it was 19. We wow. used to get about 50 to 60. And it seems, well, when the COVID thing happened, it sort of, the first year, there's still probably 45, 45 kids. But I think what's happening, I live on this cul-de-sac, as you know, it's a you know, there, dead end, there's only one way in and out. But if you get on my street here around the bend, you know, and then you have a maybe on both sides, five houses, and then there's a road that sort of goes up the hill a little bit, and there's some houses there. Last year and this year, nobody's given out candy. So hmm. kids are coming down the big road, and they can either go, instead, and then, instead of going down, you go down the hill where you could come and keep continuing and come to my neighborhood. Right. But when they're coming down a hill and they look out there, it's all black. Yeah. So no, I think what's happened is though they just figure, oh, geez, there must be nothing going on down there. So they don't, they're not coming. There's not one person in that whole section there, or even across the way on the on my street. That sort of it's another little hill, but it, it's a short road. I think there's only um seven houses on it but right. there's two people up there to have her lights on but you know if i was a kid coming down i look and i see a stretch of street that's all completely black there's not even a there's not even a um a neighborhood uh what do you call it lamp post or a street light yeah street light right there <laughs> and they're and they're and they're not coming back here because we're there's no I mean, we're giving out candy but yeah, you no, should put no. a big sign saying candy this way. That wouldn't be yeah, too obvious. I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean. Free candy this way. I bought, you know, last year I was, I bought, I usually buy for about 75 kids. Even though I'm not going to get that much. And usually I have, I'll always buy also some little reserve bag of like fun size, you know, Kit Kats or Reese's or something. Because I'll eat them, you know, myself. Right. And, um. 
I have some, I mean, I didn't go through anything. I'm like, well, this year, maybe it will be different. The weather's decent here. You know, it's not cold. And it just didn't, it made virtually no difference. Last year was a little crappy, but they're just not coming here. I don't I might as well just buy a, you know, a few candy bars and pass them out because I get stuck with them. Well, we usually get, I usually buy potato chips and so we i know exactly how many i've handed out uh and it's usually about 50 or 60 kids or something like that in my neighborhood um because we get kids from outside the neighborhood because it's a you know one way in one way out neighborhood but um i keep getting bitched at saying that no it's not fun you should hand out candy you, you shouldn't hand out potato chips. my kids keep bitching at me so this year i bought candy but i didn't know how much to buy so i bought a couple bags of candy ends up being like, you know, three or 400 pieces. So my thing was I'll put it in a bucket and tell people just grab a handful of it. Right. So every kid come to the house, I'm like, grab a handful. And they're like, they take one. I'm like, no, take more. And they're like, no, thank you. And I'm like, yeah. it's good stuff. It's like, it, it's like Reese's it's, it's Hershey's it's uh, and you know, it's also the, uh, like the Halloween stuff. And there's, uh, you know, the mini Snickers, the mini uh, Three Musketeers, the Milky Way. It's good stuff. It's the, it's the average, it's, it's the stuff you love at Halloween. And these kids are just like, a few kids would put their whole hand in there and take it out. But it's like, so many people are just taking like one or two pieces. And I'm like, I got, I got stuck with so much candy left over. I ended up bringing it in and uh, putting it in a big bucket for everybody to, to just kind of partake in. Jeez. I mean, it's, I got stuck yeah. with a lot of candy. Yeah. It's hard. Like, I would think myself even to grab what I do is I got um, those. It's not even, I waited until a couple of days ahead of time just because I knew what happened last year. And I'm thinking if it's raining and it's going to be bad, I'll just wait. And then I'll figure, well, maybe this year one or two people will give out candy and, and they want, and then that will be, and then we'll be back to normal. So I had enough. I was given, I, they have now, you have your full-size candy bar, you have fun size, and then now they have snack size, which are even smaller, so that you could take you could be cheaper with the kids too and give them less. <laughs> so I end up giving them a four, two kid cats and two two Reese's, and it's pretty good. Then it was it was obvious that me and I'm on a cul-de-sac and I'm sort of in the middle of our plan, and it's a you know, you know, there's that long hill, you know, outside here the main road is all hill. And you know, I, I know that once it starts getting around, we go five to seven. So once it starts getting around, I, I mean, I'm sorry, six to eight. Once it starts getting around seven, I know I'm probably going to get only five or six kids because the last 40 minutes, all the kids here locally, they've already hit here. There's nobody new coming all the way into this plan and down the hill and every in this road and that road to get to me. So I start giving out more. Yeah, I kind of wish I, I knew when the last kid. Eat it all day. I kind of wish I knew what the, when the last kid was going to be there, because then I would just like say, "Hey, guess what? You hit, you just hit the jackpot!" And I would have dumped all the rest of the candy I had in their bag. <laughs> well, I did that to a couple kids. I'm like, towards the end, I'm like, I think we only got, I got like maybe five kids, like a little after seven, and then it was just me. I'm standing next door talking to my neighbor, and then the other neighbor come. You know, we're just we're just sort of BSing up outside in front of the houses hoping another couple kids come by but i just sort of i'm like hey i don't think i have many more people here i'm gonna just give you and get 10 12 pieces to what you know the fun size candy bars are like this or or like this i guess if it are the kit cat but then i sit here and eat it 
I do, and I sit here and eat as it is. I work from home. Now I sit here and eat more on top of it. And, um, you know, I, 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 I'm not going to return it. I have a big, I have a bag that's not even open yet, but I'll eat it. Well, if if you want to follow uh, how large Mark is getting from eating the candy, just follow him on Mark Anthony Solo and Friends, uh, and you'll 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 be able to watch him grow right before your very eyes. He's gonna he's gonna set up a webcam and and show his belly each and every day, and uh, you'll be able to document it and uh, take the data from it. And I'm pretty sure it's going to be riveting and entertaining for everybody to watch. It's it's been going on for the last two years gradually. Well, hey, and then at least nobody can call you the gutless wonder. You know, I mean, I I, I even went out. I ran four miles today during my lunch. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, but you're when you're run, you're not supposed to be having the candy bar in the other hand. You're just supposed to you know put the candy bar down. I think next I think next year I'm just going to try. I'm going to look high and low for the full size uh, Clark bars. Because uh, nobody hands out Clark bars anymore, but I love they Clark bars. Them. I haven't seen. Yeah, they still Clark make them. Bar. Yeah, you can buy Clark bars still. I've I've, in, I've bought them in before. packs. I haven't seen those in ages. I've seen. I got the mini, the the smaller Clark bars, but I'm going to try to look for Not the really. big Clark bars, and uh, and hand them out because if I get stuck with them, I won't be too upset. But I'll be able to at least count, you know, how many I I handed out. Yeah, and, I count that out. I mean, I do that, and that I'm able to tell because of what I'm doing. Okay. I'm taking two out of this bag of 66 and I'm taking two out of this bag of 66. And Kids I in my neighborhood were just too nice. They didn't want to take, you know, more than, you know, I, their parents are probably, remember, let me take one. I did. I, for a few of them, I put up and I started putting oh, it in yeah. their bag and stuff like that. And one kid even taught, stopped me. He's like, no, thank you. I'm like, this is the good stuff. What do you want? It's not like I got garbage candy. Not like I'm handing out like, you know, uh, popcorn balls like some people do or candied apples like some people do. This think, is good stuff. I don't think people will even accept that anymore. People are afraid. I remember when we were kids, you would get the popcorn balls. I'm like, what the hell? And then some people wouldn't wrap them. I'm like, you don't just put a popcorn ball in someone's bag and it's going to get like all the other candy sticking to it. I've never liked those. I mean, a caramel apple. You know, nah, somebody know makes know. it. It's different. Because who knows if, if they're if they're making if they're probably just coating whatever rotten apples they have sitting around the house. You know, I never I never once ate a candy or or maybe I did it when I was like little, but I just wasn't. I'm not a fan. Anyways, we, we we I think we've we beat this to death. That's enough about Halloween. We're we're past Halloween. So you you probably been so busy today you didn't see the 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 news. Now, granted, I know we our our viewers go outside of Pittsburgh, but let's talk Pittsburgh a little bit. Uh, Do you happen to see that uh, they the Steelers traded uh, Chase Claypool? Yeah. Um, I don't know how I feel about that because if they would have traded him for like a like a stellar offensive lineman, like a tackle or something like that, I think I probably would have been well. I don't want to see Chase go because I think he's a stud. Um, but, you know, at least we got a great offensive lineman for him. But they got a D-back for him. We, if, if you're not going to change any kind of strategy um, or change coaches, I mean, I, I don't know that they necessarily need to give up on their, on their uh, defensive coach just yet, but although they're, they're pretty close. Unless you're going to clean house with getting rid of, uh, you know, firing coaches left and right, I don't know what good bringing in any any upgraded players is going to do to that team. It's just, you know, it, it's you're wasting talent. Um, I, I, there's there's several other ex players uh, that were 
pushing out on, on Twitter uh, last couple days saying, you know, that coaches just need to be fired. It's, this is, you know, there, there's some talent on this team and they should be doing better than what they're doing right now. And I agree. Now, granted, do they have great talent or they have a, not, I think they have better talent than what their record is. And I think when you think about that, that obviously speaks to the coaching. It has to. Well, I mean, I think they all, on Sunday, they all suck. Pickett, here's the big thing. Our quarterback, Pickett, is not getting any better. He's not, there's no progression whatsoever. I mean, he's. Well, he's a rookie still, though. I mean, I think yeah, I give but, him a, a, a little bit of a pass. Uh, but, he's, but, he's, but he should be progressing, and he's not progressing. I don't think they know what the hell they're doing on a team. I'm not saying it's all because he can't progress. I just don't. I don't think he but he's got nobody blocking a, for him. That's the problem. They're, our offensive yeah, line gives, sucks. They, they don't throw pass. He throws one or two passes pat more than five yards a game. I mean, he just he, – he, look, I know that they – it's not that it's wrong that they put him in. He wasn't – he's not – he wasn't ready to be a starter yet. And But that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. But there's something going on there. I'm not saying that they need to – scrap him or anything i don't even i'm sort of on offense to him from from the get-go i wasn't real big on him but the thing is they're they're not doing it he should be progressing and and that's probably has to do with some of the coaching too yeah uh, i think it definitely is like quarterbacks stuff. coach and stuff i they think that stay. yeah but everything my my opinion is that i think that the reason that he all opted to put him in there is thinking this is the time for him to grow because we're not going to win any games. So we might as well put him in there and give him experience and get him killed. Yeah. That's what, that's what's happening right now. He's, he's getting I mean, killed he's, because nobody's, nobody's blocking for him. It's just, it's, it's, it, they're, 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 they're just a bad team. Man. They're a bad team. But yeah, I knew about the whole trade thing that, I mean, I heard about it today, but they were taught somehow that got out last night and it was, uh, I can't remember where I saw it, but um, there was a there was already a story. Look, I don't know anything about Jackson, and uh, but I don't care if he's uh, an All Pro D back. If you're not going to change the defensive scheme, what good is he going to do? You know what I mean? Uh, we already have one of the 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 best D backs, you know, in Minka Fitzpatrick, and you know, Minka's doing everything he can, but he's not going to go rogue, you know, outside of the, the, the scheme. Um, they're just, uh, they're, they're hurting this year. So sorry for any of you Steeler fans who aren't living in reality and you keep holding on hope at, uh, what are they now? Two and five, uh, and you two and six, and you keep holding out hope that maybe they're still going to get on a run and make it to the playoffs. Yeah, come on, just stop it. Just seven, stop it. Seven. Cause I know there, I know you're out there. I know there's people out there that are still holding out hope. Well, you know what? They could get on a good run and maybe with these, these acquisition, blah, blah, blah. They have to they're, be seven and two to have a realistic shot moving forward to be nine and eight. That's probably the minimum chance that you have that possibly that's possibly getting into the playoffs, which would mean they have to be seven and two moving forward. There's nothing about that team that's seven and two or even remotely. Uh, I, I think they're gonna I think they're gonna be five and twelve. <laughs> I mean yeah, it's I very think, possible. Yeah, I I I, I wouldn't <laughs> be surprised with that. That was just I, I think they I, can I can think I can string together three more wins and that's about it. Yeah, you know, and when you're talking about coaches, if you notice the great coaches 
you think of somebody like a Parcells or a Belichick, or even let's talk about Bill Cowher. You, when you go back in time and you look at these coaches, you see a lot of these assistant coaches end up being head coaches somewhere else. Right. And there's that sort of, you know, almost like a family tree where you got somebody sitting up here and you have right. all these things branching out where these, That's a good point. where these coaches move on and you can see all the great coaches that are out there, the ones that are considered, you know, just like even with the guy from, um, from uh, Kansas City. Now, why does his name slip my mind? The head coach, he coached at Philadelphia. And all yeah, I know. Um, uh, looks like a walrus. I, I know, I know his name. I'm having a brain fart just because you just because you said that. I probably wouldn't able to say his I name in two seconds. I, I Andy Reid. Andy Reid. Andy Reid. Yeah, I mean, he if he's got one of the highest win percentages out there. But if you look, there's a lot of there's a lot of his assistant coaches that went on and and have done well. And with our coach, you just don't you don't see that. He's you been here for 15 years. We have been out of the league altogether. He's, he's been here for 15 years. How many of his of his coaches have gone on to become head coaches? I don't think there's been any. Or even to move up and be in a better spot somewhere else, maybe. But think up. about it. Have, have any of his coaches, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinators, have any of them gone on to be head coaches? I don't That's think what so. I mean, I don't. You don't. You don't see that. And and people talk about him as being a great coach. And all the great coaches out there, the ones who win Super Bowls and have been successful for a long period of time, there is that. You know, they lose. They they lose their coaches. The head to be head coaches somewhere else and we don't i don't recall that ever happening at least not with somebody that wasn't already on staff when he they kept when he came aboard right you can't yeah. talk about bruce arians i mean you, you know it's no that's not the you, same i mean yeah i mean you can't tie you can't tie that into i mean he was well he wasn't he didn't he didn't coach up under Tomlin. In other words, all the other coaches you're talking about, they started from nothing, coached under a leader, and went on to become leaders themselves. Yeah, Tom, Tomlin doesn't have that. We Arians was here after he was already an established coach That's and head I mean. coach and stuff like that. So you, yeah, you can't count something like that. Yeah. But, so um, I, I just don't think there. All it is is a bunch of crap. People coming. There's a lot more talk about firing his his coaches than there are about them getting better jobs elsewhere. I mean, that's usually the, I don't know. That's usually I just the think way I, to I, farm. Tom, Tomlin is going to use this, this season as a, a excuse to get one more year out of his contract, which he only has one more year. Um, and probably to save his butt from be, getting let go soon. He's going to say, look, we were, you know, look what we were handed, whatever, look what we had, were dealt with, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know what? Good coaches would take that team and at least build a, a, a mediocre team. <laughs> not get, like, nobody's it. getting better. <laughs> no, and it's just it, everything is stagnant. It would. It's be hard so to watch. It's hard you, to watch. Yeah, it wouldn't be so bad if you say it looks like they're coming together here. It looks like maybe the last six games of the season might be a little interesting. Now, well, with T with TJ Watt coming back, uh, that's going to make at least the the defense look a little bit better. I mean, but that's pretty sad when one guy can make the biggest difference in the world for the whole entire team. You can't do anything um, about that offense, though. Nobody's no, gonna, you can't no. make you can't make TJ Watt go out there and open up some. You might have to put put him, him at, put him in a tackle, put him in at center <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, 
and he might even get hurt again before the season's over. <laughs> yeah, he seems like he's falling apart, Mike. Yeah, well, I don't. He's still young. We'll see. He's got a lot of life left in him. But um, anyways, uh, there, there is uh, one thing I want to throw out there is to, to boast about while we're uh, uh, at it. So let's cue it up. We'll have a boast. All right. Uh, you know a little bit about this because um, you you were, I, I let you know exactly when I discovered it. But I want to boast about a band that I discovered uh, called The Warning. Um. And I thought maybe, okay, what 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 am I missing? Am I, I'm, I'm usually paying attention. I'll grant it. Most of the bands I listen to, 95% of the bands I listen to are in the Christian hard rock uh, realm. And I don't pay a whole lot of attention to uh, mainstream rock. And there's not a whole lot of like newer, straightforward hard rock and bands coming up. Uh, you know, these days there's been one here, one there, whatever. But uh, when I heard these, it's, it's a trio. It's a three-girl trio. They're all sisters. The um, it's uh, Danny, Alejandra, and Paulina. They're they're all sisters, and they're like between the ages of like eighteen and twenty-one. These are young girls, and they're they are phenomenal. Their their musicianship is phenomenal. They've been playing together since they were little since they were like eight nine ten years old whatever uh playing rock and roll so they've had a long time to perfect this but i i i so i got their album and um i also looked at the credits they write every single song themselves and their their songs have good hooks good riffs uh the guitar player danny is just in, incredible and when you watch her play, she looks like she's having a blast. I mean, she just looks like she's having a ball. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I wish I would have uh, found them sooner because they they played uh, Jurgles uh, back in May here in Pittsburgh. And um, I saw I saw a video. Someone took a video of the whole entire show. It was actually a really good show. But and apparently a lot of people in Pittsburgh know who they were because they were singing along to their songs and stuff like that. So I guess I'm late to the game with that one. But these guys are playing like they're from Mexico and uh, they they there's videos of them playing sold out shows headlining down in Mexico. And when they're up here, they're playing in front of sold out shows, when, even if they're paired up with someone else or whatever. They're they're on a tour with, with Hailstorm and a few other bands. Um but they just blew me away. They're, 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 I wouldn't say that every single song on their album is like awesome. I would say that 75% of it is pretty damn good. And with like three or four songs that really stand out, um, I was super impressed. I, I told you about them. Did you get to check them out at all? Yeah, I did. And I like them. I have to admit, I don't listen to a lot of that type of music anymore, but, um, Singer's yeah, really good, and she's a great guitar. Look, you just don't see forget forget about gender. You you don't see a lot of trios coming up these days, right? When's the last power rock trio that that oh, made names themselves? I'm talking about someone that made now. a name for themselves and and that and that played kick ass rock and roll music. When when's the last one you can remember? I don't I have no idea. I mean, you have I mean there are a lot of big trios out there, but as far as anybody new i i'm not even keeping up with it unless there's somebody i'm unaware of yeah i mean i'm not saying that there aren't any i'm just saying first of all it's rare that they're a trio second of all and all three girls sing 
uh, I mean, the, the drummer Paulina and Danny, the guitar player, do all the lead singer and lead singing, and and Allie, the bass player, she does some filling, fill singing, and does background singing and stuff like that. Um, but the fact, like I said, putting the gender aside, just the fact that they're a, a, a three a three piece band writing their own music that sounds great and um you know as young as they are thank i mean that, that gives me hope that people this young writing that kind of music and putting you know just kick ass rock and roll is 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 great i mean they they don't they don't try to they don't sound like they're trying to record anything that's going to get major radio play they're just recording stuff that they are probably getting off on you know what i mean um but anyways, that's uh, I wanted to uh, just let people know about them. Go check them out. The warning. Uh, they're all over social media on uh, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok, everything. So please check them out. Uh, download their album. See what you think. Go to if you got uh, Amazon Music, if you've got uh, Prime Music, whatever you want to call it, uh, Apple Music, uh, Google Google has their own music stream. I think that uh, anyways, just check them out. You can get their music anywhere. So, uh, anything you need to boast about? No, I didn't even think about that before this. But uh, here, I'll grab this here since I used it a little while ago. It's been around for a while. The Pledge Anti-Service <laughs> Antibacterial. This is excellent stuff for cleaning anything. I can use it to clean my desk, right. clean my dinner, dining room table. It's all right. <laughs> all right once again people these are not paid uh advertisements we're just uh Pledge, talking baby. about things that we that we've come across that we happen to really like so let's just kill this segment right now Level boost. all right so uh we got maddie blake coming up uh with the interview again you're not going to be able to be in, involved in the interview this is two interviews in a row people are going to get suspicious now that things are up last time you were promoting your your uh album and uh your EP that just came out, which is doing phenomenal. People are loving it. They're loving the video that uh, that you put out for it. It's really getting people's attention. So congratulations on that. But, uh, you know, due to other uh, scheduling conflicts, you're not able to make this interview. And uh, that's too bad. So for those of you brainiacs out there looking to spread some conspiracy theories that Mark just doesn't like to do interviews anymore, that he's uh, that it, his... Uh, he's negotiating a higher pay in his contract until he's going to hold out on the interviews until he gets that. Uh, we, neither one of us get paid. I want this so. pledge money, baby. Yeah, well, maybe a pledge becomes one of our sponsors. We can start talking about that that increase in pay or whatever. And now you got blurry again. Your camera got blurry again. Yeah, it okay. seemed to Well, just because you held the, the 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 pledge up to the camera and then it focused on that. Maybe if I hold it. it like this, it will come back and I know. It's a it, the field of focus changed, and now you're all blurry. Either that, or um, I'm my eyes are blurry, but I don't think so. Because no, I'm I'm seeing what you're seeing here too. Yeah. For some reason it it's uh, readjusting itself, but it, you think that it would it would do it again? Like if I moved or used my hand, that it would just. Zoom in think. Stick your face in the camera and then pull back. There, now pull back. <laughs> I don't blurry. think I made a difference. No, it's still blurry. But we got a good uh, close-up of your nostrils there. Thanks for that. Um, 
so anyways, uh, yeah, the curse of Oak Island, still the number one unscripted show on cable TV. It's, uh, they're just launching their, uh, 10th season next week. Um, sure. A lot of people will be tuning in for that. You know, Maddie, the host of beyond Oak Island, he's, uh, got some podcasts out there. Uh, just a really nice down to earth guy. Um, and I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun to talk with him. Uh, about, I'm not just going to, for those of you just to see it, this is not going to be an interview, just trying to get some information on the curse of Oak Island. We're, we're obviously going to talk about that because, um, it's associated with him, but, uh, I want to, I want to know a little bit more about Maddie, you know, where he came from, what, what his background is. Cause, you know, consider this the behind the scenes of the behind the scenes, you know, everybody, Maddie takes everybody behind the scenes of Oak Island. I'm taking you behind the scenes from the guy that takes you behind the scenes. If you follow that anyways, so we're going to take a, a short break here and Mark's going to clear himself up uh, and, and dust himself off and he'll be back uh, for the next episode. I <laughs> He's going to go clean himself off with pledge. Maybe that'll get it to take the blurriness out of him or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. So we'll, <laughs> we'll be back in a minute and uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll catch the big M there uh, on the next show. So hang in there people. Labyrinths. Might it be the ship that once carried the lost cache of gold that the Captain Lawrence and its crew were reported to have found in 1933, before also sinking to the bottom of the lake? The ballast zones are key in a lot of ways because, first of all, it narrows what kind of ship it could be and when that ship was sailing. Welcome back to Blabber Brain Show. We have our very special guest with us today. You might know him from everything related to Oak Island, uh, drilling down beyond Oak Island now, uh, all the behind the scenes stuff. Uh, the wonderful and very busy, as I'm finding out, <laughs> Matt, Matty Blake. Let's give him a big round of applause. Well, thank you for having us. me. Uh, uh, crazy busy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, the more I looked into everything you've got going on, I'm like, I thought I was very busy at one of the most busiest people I know. Right. So yeah. yeah, but you've got a lot going on. So, um, you know, I, I, I thought this was going to be a very interesting interview because, you know, we get a lot of in-depth background on the Laginas and Oak Island, thanks to you, but mm, the fans don't get a lot of background on you. Hmm. <laughs> so this is consider this like a behind the scenes of the behind the scenes Dig it. type of thing. So, um, where did you grow up at, Maddie? I mean, let's let's take it back a little bit. We're not going to dig right into Oak Island right now. We'll get to that, but let's let's get a little bit more on your past. So, what, what's your background? I'm a what they call around these parts, and this is a little crude, so forgive me, but I'm what they call a mass hole. Um, <laughs> okay. Born and raised in Massachusetts, uh, right. moved around a little bit, but mostly in kind of what they call the Metro West area, which I grew up about 40 minutes directly West of Boston. It would be the equivalent of living like in Westchester County, if you were from New York city. Okay. Um, so about 40 minutes directly West of the city, um, not quite central mass, but just before it in between Boston and central mass, basically. Um, okay. and yeah, very suburban, very rural, uh, upbringing. I was a basketball player, loved basketball with a passion. I grew up during the eighties Celtics run with Larry bird and, <laughs> So, um, you know, I pursued times, that was my whole, oh, God, it, was a, <laughs> it was just such, I love that team so much. It was right. a magic time in Boston. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I mean, and, um, so trying to get you into where you're at right now, like, what did you go to school for? 
a weird story. I was a criminal justice major. <laughs> okay. And had designs of being a police officer my whole life um, from the time I was a kid. It's all I wanted. You know, I have this thing where um, I think I, I was undersized. I was very skinny and uh, I hated, I hated bullies. Right. I, I just had this thing about injustice, like not to paint myself as some sort of savior or anything. I just, I just didn't <laughs> like people getting picked on or something. So I, I, I love the idea of like being able to stop that somehow, having a badge and being able to stop injustice. You know, all my things are, I loved heroes, like uh, cops on TV and things like that. So I pursued that right through college. Um, that was my major. I was going to pursue that fully and actually did work in that industry for a couple of years out of college. I worked with um, high risk youth. I took a job with department of services and then with an organization that helped it was like a government task force to keep kids off drugs and out of gangs and things like that. Oh, cool. While I was waiting to try to get on like a federal, I was looking at U.S. Marshals at the time. And um, right during that time, living in Boston, working with the high-risk youth, um, I started doing, I started performing out in Boston, kind of on a on a dare from my brother and my friends, actually. <laughs> and I was one of those guys always like, if I was a comedian, I would say this. If I was on Saturday Night Live, I would do this. You know, if right, I was right. an actor. So I just did it as a lark. And um, I won. Like open stage stuff? Or? Exactly. It was an open yeah. mic night in Boston at a yeah. place called Remington's, I think it was called, or something like that. Um, it was a comedy club in downtown Boston. I lived downtown Boston. So we all went and had a few beers and I, and I won it. It was like a catch rising star open mic night. And the next day at work, I had like a call from a guy saying, do you want to start hosting shows for us? And you just do like two, three minutes and you host the show. And I was like, yeah. And that led to in pretty short order. Um, I was recruited by an improv and sketch troupe, a very famous group in Boston called improv Boston. Okay. And, and that was like my college. Those like four years was like a post grad crash course in performance and stage and all that. Well, and that um, seems like a lot of fun. I mean, improv is always, I mean, I, you know, growing up, like I, I did some theater and stuff like that as well. And, and some, I, I've done some acting and, mm. and uh, on a lot of, a lot of my stuff is done on the other side of the camera. But yeah. um, I just, I mean, improv is just, it, it's almost like a, like an adrenaline rush, you know, I <laughs> think so. It, yeah, like when you it, just start thinking of things on the fly and, so. It was quite a, it was quite a training ground because, you know, we would be backstage and I didn't do theater. Like I said, I was a criminal justice major. So this was all new to me other than what I'd seen my kind of heroes do on television. Right. Um, and I, I literally had people backstage, the audience would suggest, let's say, you know, oh, it's a Tennessee Williams play. And I would look at my co-actors. They'd be like, oh, it's in the cell, swear a lot. And there's drinking and it's hot. <laughs> and, and like, that's how I learned like all these things. Um, and then, you know, you grow as in my twenties, I started reading and studying. And so that was like a, I guess like a working arts college that I went to those years. And, um, yeah, it was, it was an exciting and, and fun time in my life. That's cool. I mean, I guess that's what also, you know, gives you really good background to be a host of things because, <laughs> you know, trying to keep things going, trying to talk about things, trying to look at things a little bit differently and, uh, try to open up conversations, you know, you, you're you're working on an unscripted, you know, yeah. show. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the Laginas like to say they're probably the most unscripted show on cable TV, you know, yeah. because there are 
quite a few of those unscripted shows that are pretty heavily scripted. Um, and, I'm, and I'm sure probably there's a lot of, you know, thought that goes into like the, like the drilling down. Yeah. You know, you're not just going in there blind, you know, you, you kind of have a game plan and stuff like that, but I'm sure whatever you're trying to capture on, on, you know, TV is basically just you trying to be you and trying to get information and trying to ask questions and stuff like that. So, well, uh, the best stuff comes from, in my opinion, as far as what I do, the best stuff comes from when it isn't on the script. Right. Uh, Cause drilling down is a different animal, no doubt. And right. I've got my little questions that I prepare, mm -hmm. but it's when I go to ask something and Marty, Rick, or one of the fellowships says something that I wasn't expecting. And I go, right. oh, hold on, hold on. What were you just saying there? You Wait, <laughs> there's a new area? What do you mean? What are you talking about? Or what do you mean your father said that? You know, that's where the magic happens. So, yeah. yeah it's the, the follow-up, you know what I mean? It's, the improv you know, pays yeah, off, yeah. Exactly. So so take us up to, to that point. I mean, this is where we're now getting ready to, if I'm sure people tune in, know, start the 10th season, right? We're coming up here. Uh, I can't believe it's been 10 years years that's just unbelievable but um so now you didn't join the show until what like the second or third season third, was it third, third season, season of the main show yep so how, how did you how did you land that gig hmm. so boston the time in my life i'm describing i was in my 20s and i was all boston never thought about anything national i was just having fun learning my craft kind of doing that and i made the finals of a uh, comedy competition, a stand-up comedy competition called the Laugh Riots held by Comedy Central. And the finals of that competition were in New York City and I made the national finals. And um, that night, I think I came in second to a guy from Canada, okay. ironically from Canada. <laughs> and um, as I remember, there were, there were agents and managers at that show and I was approached by a manager. And then in short order, I started meeting with agents in New York City and I got signed. So I left Boston for New York City. Okay. So from 2002 until the Oak Island audition, I made my living in New York City as an actor and a host doing okay. it full time. So I had my 10,000 hours by the time the Oak Island uh, opportunity came. And in fact, right. the reason I was even brought up for it was because I had hosted a bunch of shows for VH1 okay. um, on their digital space, working with producers there and a little bit on the network. I did some of those talking head shows that they had back then where you would watch a clip. And then a person would comment on it. Right. So those producers knew me. And um, when the Oak Island thing came along, one producer was talking to the other. He said, we need someone who's into mysteries and, and unexplained things and, and, and history. And he was like, oh my gosh, Maddie Blake doesn't shut up about, because that's the other <laughs> thing I didn't get into is, is also a huge part of my story growing up was my involvement with paranormal and unexplained things. I was always that kid talking yeah. about that stuff. I was always into, you can see Bigfoot behind me in a yeah. picture there. <laughs> Squatching. So <laughs> I, I was always into that stuff. I had a book that had featured Oak Island when I was a kid. So, you know, when I walked into that audition that year, uh, I wasn't aware of the show, but I was certainly aware of Oak Island and the mystery, its existence. Uh, um, and, and the people that had auditioned for that show Probably, I think it was my passion for a mystery that got me the gig. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because there was, I think they were looking at some names, you know, some names to do this role. And, um, but I was just like, man, if it's a mystery, I need to know what it is. So, so I mean, was it just like they asked you and you said yes, or did you still have to audition? No, did I you... went in and auditioned like, well, okay. like, like I had done a, like I said, from 2002 until that point, that's all I did all day was audition, 
book jobs work, audition, book jobs work. That was it. That was my life. Right. Full-time working actor. Never got famous, but I supported my family doing it. So I had, like I said, I had hosted so many things. I had my own show on NBC Sports Digital. I had just done so much. Um, and I don't mean that bragging way. I'm, I'm just saying that when the opportunity came, I was ready. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, I'm hosting a show. I, I had done it a thousand times. Yeah. I mean, you're, and now to the point, probably a little bit more than before you're, you're able to at least make a living out of it. You know what I mean? Um, I was so, lucky. I, I did really well. Cause I did, also did a lot of commercials, right. uh, TV on camera commercials. I had done a ton. So I, I was very, very blessed. Um, that whole, I had a great agent Buckwald who I'm still with. It's been 20 wow. years, 22, 20, what year, 22 years is about. <laughs> so, uh, or 20 years, 2002 to 22. Um, and man, um, they've been awesome. Like in my prime in those years, I would have eight to 10 auditions a day for everything wow. from, from voiceovers to on-camera commercials, to hosting, to scripted shows. Like I had done, you know, most of the shows that shoot in New York city, I got bits, bit parts on. So yeah, it's like they, you, there's a bunch of us out there where you don't know us. We're not famous, but we make a darn good living doing it. And, um, it's the guys who get on the regular series like this one right? that you start to know their names, but there's tons of my brother and sister actor hosts out there who make a darn good living and you don't know their name. So well, not, they're, not they're, lot, muck, but they're, they're mucking there. and grinding, right? I mean, yeah, it's, it. it's doing, doing whatever it takes to, yep. to get that next gig and stuff like that. So, that's it. and I'm sure that's, you know, that's, got to be the goal of a, of a lot of people. Some people love that. Some people love the, the journeyman type of thing where you're just going from one project to another, but I'm sure a lot of people are just like, yeah, boy, if I can just get that one gig where it's just like, yeah, yeah I know that I'm here and this is where I'm working and blah. And then you can do your other side stuff and stuff like that. So that, that's got to be, you know, somewhat pleasing to the heart to say, yeah, I knew, I know I got something solid at least. Mm. Um, so the, um, I thought it was funny. Like, I mean, cause I've been watching Oak Island probably, uh, I started watching, um, loosely in season one because the, uh, the, the commercials kind of got me in and I'd watch an episode here or there. And it wasn't until like probably midway through the first season, I was like cooked. And then at the end of the season, I went back and online, I watched the, the, the first few episodes that I missed and stuff like that. But ever since then, I've been like hooked into the show. Hmm. But when you came into the show and started doing the drilling down, <laughs> it looked like you guys were like, like in a closet somewhere. I don't know, this tiny oh, little room. Yeah. That <laughs> where, was, where was that at? What, that was uh, New York City. Okay. Um, New York City at the history uh, offices. And, you know, Kevin, the late Kevin Burns, who created the show, um, who found out that the brothers existed and started pressing them to do a TV show, they said no to him twice. Mm -hmm. um, and he just kept pressing and saying, this is going to be a great show. And, um, he, his vision of the drilling down role was to have kind of like an embedded journalist, like a Geraldo Rivera type at first, like on the Island, you know, right. like behind the scenes, here's what's going on now, like literally peering over their shoulders. And, <laughs> but because the show was still kind of at that beginning of the third season, you got to remember they did way less episodes that first season. I think they did right. six. So it was a totally different animal. So the idea was like, let's, let's get them in here let's interview them and kind of, and, and see what we got. And just the show was so dense historically. And so many people like you had questions about it. Mm -hmm. Well, wait a minute, what history, what are you talking about? 1795, all that stuff. So we like, let's lay it out on a table and let's just do it that way. And that's how it started. Then, then it became that kind of in the field thing. 
as a matter of fact, this season coming up, what I do on drilling down is going to be much more, you'll see much more like that kind of Geraldo Rivera type of uh, guy <laughs> in the field type thing. So it's going right. to be fun. Well, it's the other thing that uh, showed how they, you know, over time they warmed up to you. They really seemed reluctant to talk about much of anything that first mm. year that you were doing yeah. drilling down. They were very tight lipped, short answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just were not, at least from from a viewer viewer's perspective, I'm just like, boy, these guys just don't want to talk about anything. And now, it's like no matter what you ask them, it seems like they they're they're fine talking about it and stuff like that. I mean, it didn't take ten, you know, seven years, whatever. After a few, after like a, a season or two, I think they started to warm up to you and they started to you know have confidence in you and, and stuff. So, um, but I just thought it was funny, like that that first season of you doing drilling down i'm like you know i was praying for you because i was just like he's digging yeah, he's trying he's trying well and uh <laughs> there was an immediate like um i want to i wouldn't say adversarial of course but it, there was an immediate thing where like i came in almost like i was with the network it seemed right. like i'm bet i'll um, bet yeah right because i came in with people from history mm-hmm. with producers from history. we roll in in these suvs to the oak <laughs> island you know and like and I'm coming into like, and I, I I know for a fact those brothers thought I was going to like grill them. Like, right. oh, okay, here's this network guy. They brought in this host guy and he's going to grill us. And, and it's, I think like question two, I made them like laugh. They, they laughed. Right. And, and then it, it started getting easier for them. Then when, then in New York city, we really got to kind of know each other. We went out to dinner all together as a group with Kevin, um, got to tell Rick and Marty my story, but I'm a family man, told them just what I told you, my history, working actor. And they, they started going, okay, this kid's from Boston. He's not some fancy. Dave, right. <laughs> Dave Blankenship used to call me city boy because <laughs> of New York City. I'm like, Dave, like I grew up in an area like this, like Oak Island. Right, like, you know? right, right. So once we got to know each other and then over the years, they saw that my heart was true and that I shared a lot of the same values as them. And now we're like family members. Like we, I love them like brothers, you know, um, or uncles, I guess would be more yeah, appropriate. Well, I guess that begs another question. Why Why did it take them so long to make you a, a member of the Fellowship of the Dig? I mean, I, it, and it, I always thought that maybe they would have done it like a lot earlier, but maybe they, maybe they just take that so seriously that um, they don't want to just haphazardly say, oh, yeah, you're sure you're, you're part of the now. And when they did that, well, that's a two part question. When they did that, was that more a, of a gesture or do they really consider you now like part of the team because they really seem like they've embraced you as one of them? I think to answer the first part, it has to do with me not being on the main show. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it was a conscious decision to do it or not do it. I just think they've, they're up to their eyeballs in the work of the Island. And I come in and, and, and these little short bursts mm-hmm. and ask them how the progress is going. So I'm kind of immediately set up, at the beginning is kind of like an outside voice, right? You know, representing the fans, you know, what about this? What is that? So I don't think it would ever occur to them in those early years to do something like that because I was very much that my role was just not that. But then over the years, you know, like I think my passion for it and my sincerity. And then there was a couple of times where like, I actually, during drilling downs, like we didn't air some of this stuff, but like I, I made little, finds or had thoughts on things and they started to ask me more and then the whole genesis of the beyond oak island thing really i think is what sealed it because mm-hmm. now all of a sudden you know my work in researching oak island main show and the ability i 
can provide them to kind of um, have them see it in a different light. You know, Marty always says, you come in here and we're neck deep in it. We're eyeballing it. And, and you have a way of going, wait a second, look what you've done. Stop. And, and they go, oh my gosh, yes. Like an, a perspective. Right. And some of that's been really valuable to them. Some of the stuff that drilling down has provided them has been very valuable in their search and how they approach it. Well, you guys did this before. Oh, that's right. We did that before. Let's do this. You know? So I think right around the time of beyond when, when people fans started contacting me and Prometheus saying, Hey, wait a second, we've got something like Oak Island or I know of gold or I know of this, or I know of that. They probably wanted to try to get their own show or something. (laughs) Then it started. Yeah. Well, I think there's some of that. Also, there was just straight up advice. People wanted advice. Mm-hmm. Like, do you think ground penetrating, do you think ground penetrating radar would work for me? Should I do something else? What technology can I bring to bear to this? I'm having trouble with the local municipality in my treasure hunt. Do you have any advice? So I started bringing this stuff to Rick and Marty. Marty was approached by people all the time with different treasure hunt ideas. So it was a natural fit that we started collaborating on those things and then kind of picking what we felt were interesting. And now my role changes from outsider coming in to very much with them. And I, but the long winded way to say, is I just think over the years, they, Rick and Marty trusted me. It took time and saw my sincerity. And so it, it wasn't just symbolic because, you know, off air, Rick, Rick has grabbed me and said, listen, you, we need you. Like you're, you're that out, you're our connection to, the outside world because we're so entrenched here like keep spreading right. the gospel man keep doing what you're doing and so i take that as like sacrosanct i take that very seriously now did that um did it were you well you know i first of all i i didn't think that that would come early on but i thought it might have come a year or two before it actually happened but when it did happen was like did it take you by surprise did they set you up and say hey we're going to do this or whatever did, were you just totally shocked Totally shocked. In fact, I'd like to thank the editors at Prometheus because they definitely saved me from a lot of embarrassment with my friends because I actually got very emotional <laughs> and I was cry- I was I was I was fighting tears and and the right. way they edited it, you can really tell. <laughs> um, but I, I kind of lost it. I was wow. very um, you know, it's been years of my life too. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, uh, we all have families and lives and I've, I've given a lot to this thing. Uh, you know, I fight those battles for them. They don't, but I do like when people, when are they going to find something? I go, wait a second. What are you talking about? I try to like <laughs> set people straight. So, you know, it's been a long journey for me too. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it validates too, probably in, in internally, it just validates that the work that you're doing means something to them. And it's not just, I'm not just doing a shtick on TV. I'm, right. I'm serving a, a, a greater purpose and I'm actually, you know, building a bond because of the work I'm doing. And, you know, like I said, if it was just, oh, hey, you're one of us too, whatever. I mean, it, I, cause I didn't get that. I get like, hey, you know, you've earned this. You've earned a spot as one of us. Thank you. And that's how it yeah. came across, at least uh, to us. So, um, so yeah, then, so that you're, so then you're saying, um, that when that spawned off beyond Oak Island, which you're now what in your third season already, uh, yes, beyond Oak yeah, Island? this is the third season of beyond. Yeah. Holy smokes. That's just, that, again, that goes fast. Okay. Um, and you know, 
it, that's been to me just as intriguing almost as, as Oak Island because you're going to different places, meeting with different people, but yet you have that same continuity of, of you and the Laginas and, and Gary sometimes uh, going out and, and, you know, helping these, these treasure hunters. Mm. Um, was that just something that just like, who came up with that idea and just, I, I know you said they had a lot of people calling the, the, the show and stuff like that, but what, there had to be some decision saying, you know what, let's, let's try to make a show out of this. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Um, as I remember it, the Genesis actually was Marty's involvement. And I, and I hope I'm not wrong. This is how I remember it. Mm -hmm. Marty was very involved with the civil war gold story, obviously in Lake Michigan oh, yeah. mm -hmm. and that first effort to recover gold out of Lake Michigan. Yeah, and that, that kind of set the wheels in motion of, well, wait a second. There are these other treasure hunts out there. And then, like I said, I had, I don't know, I want to say at that time, probably conservatively 200 messages from people. Um, I know about this. What do you think about this? Would this make it, you know, there, the captain kid was in long Island sound, like all these things that people were hitting me with. And I just kind of responded as kindly as I could and said, sounds exciting, but you know, stay in touch. I don't know what to right. tell you. <laughs> and so when the idea of like Marty going on another adventure um, came up, it was easy. It kind of happened naturally where it was like, okay, we all have these stories that we're learning about and knowing about. And we all kind of came to the table with them. But certainly of course it takes history to green light something like that. Definitely. Right. Um, and Prometheus, the fine folks at Prometheus, the producers who are just incredible at what they do. Mm -hmm rigorously I've sent them some people who let's just say kindly didn't check out <laughs> and it's the producers at Prometheus who have to go through that process, you know, like check right. out this guy. Cause he says he's got a treasure and then, you know, yeah. I mean, you cause know. you can easily get embarrassed if you, you, oh. you spend all that mm -hmm. time and money and go in someplace and you're filming and they're just like, these guys are a bunch of jokers. They're not real. Big time. Right. Whatever. So yeah. And we try to find people who gel with our vibe um, in that they're probably not motivated by money. Right. Um, they love the history, the story. And hey, look, no one, no one would turn down millions of dollars worth of treasure. Right. But I think I, I can sum it up. I can personify this point by, I don't know if you remember the the late treasure hunter we worked with, Hoppy Eubanks, the guy with the, the guy from Texas, the hat, the big okay. beard. Yeah. Yeah. We asked him, no, it was Marty actually asked him. He said, Hoppy, um, if you found this treasure that we're looking for, and it's, it could be worth millions, millions, maybe even billions of dollars. He said, what would you do? And he goes, well, I might get myself a new truck, but there's this other mystery I know about. And da, 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 you know, he started already <laughs> talking about another treasure mystery. If he made a billion dollars and we're like, this is the type of guy we want. Right. He's not That's just looking to cash in. He's, bingo. he's, he's in it for the hunt. Bingo. And uh, so, you know, I think as you're talking about the people that you kind of gel with and whatever, uh, this season to me has had, um, I don't know, a little bit different vibe to it um, where you guys aren't just following along. Like you seem to be like really getting more in, involved in, in helping people. Not that you weren't before, but like, I, I think of, I, you can tell me what your, what your favorite mission you've been on outside of Oak Island, especially when it relates to beyond Oak Island. But as a, as a person watching the show, gauging by the excitement on your face and your reaction. I have never seen you react the way I've seen you react mm. when you're on the Atosha. 
Um, I mean, you were just jumping out of your skin with, with some of that work on there that they were doing and stuff like that. But what, what would you say your favorite, uh, hunt has been on with beyond Oak Island or maybe stuff that's, that that didn't, that's not on the show that you've been doing outside of that. Well, I would say there's things coming up this season and that's not just a tease Mm -hmm. to get you to watch it. Like there are things coming (laughs) up this season that are going to blow your mind and blew my mind. Um, but I can say this about the Atosha because you're right. You know, we had done a lot of this hours and hours and hours mm. in the field. And the only things that we really found were artifacts that validated that maybe you're in the right place. That's the best you could probably say. Right. And by the way, it's a miracle we even got that because you think about it. You've got one, maybe two days to look for something that people have been looking for maybe for 20, 30 years. And you've got cameras and you're just hoping you come up with something. Yeah. There's more of a chance, actually, we do those days in the field for two days. That's all we got. And we just go, well, there's nothing here, but keep trying, guys. Like, so the fact that we find any sort of historical artifact or something that we can build a show around is a miracle. And we've done it every time. So, yes, that's great. But, 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 but it hasn't been like treasure. Right. Cliche treasure. And so when that silver coin came up, it, 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 it was it was like three summers worth of frustration came out. In, in in my um in my voice, I think. But on yeah. the bottom of the the ocean floor, for crying out loud! I mean, that's like that's beyond finding a needle in a haystack would be like you, you that would be like finding a needle in a haystack in two seconds. It's like the equivalent right. of that, right? Making it so easy to find a needle in a haystack compared to how you find a a, a silver coin coated uh, just with gunk and 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 debris and and ocean sediment cake to it. In the middle of nothing. It's incredible. I, I, like how? You know? when, well, I can tell you how, in a way, and you're right. And I love these guys, these people on social media, like, they, they never find anything. It's like, dudes, what we're doing <laughs> that, that is That was hard. real. That was real. Yeah. That was oh, real. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and I can answer that question partly in that it's, it, I was just working with a young wannabe treasure hunter. It's his, like, senior project here in my town. And um. He said, what's your advice to start any treasure hunt? And I said, do all your work before you start hunting mm. research. You're going to, you're going to make your finds, and your discoveries actually in a library or on a map or something. And you're going to whittle your search down through, through that type of effort. And it's going to make your odds increase. So something like this, this work on the Atosha that's been going out the Fisher family for years, they have done all the legwork and years of search to know. And you saw that map that Captain Tim showed me. Yeah. <laughs> it is as detailed, detailed and intricate right. as every ever map ever made. It's got geo points all over. They know every, so yes, it's incredible, but how did they do it in the days we were there? The two days we were there is because they've done the work right. leading up to that moment. And that's Data how you do it. Research. research. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it'd be like akin to like saying, I'm going to go hike across America and take a map with you, but not have a plan on how to get from California to, to New York and just start setting off on, that's right. on your journey. And then like in the middle of your journey, he's like, wait, I don't know where the hell I'm going. That's right. <laughs> I yeah. better really like lay out a plan here. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. You got to do that. So, all right. Hey, um, let's go beyond, <laughs> beyond, beyond Oak Island. <laughs> um, talk about your, your interest in, uh, in paranormal um, yeah. and how that came about. Well, first of all, let me ask you something. Are are you still in the Boston area? Are you in like yeah. Rhode Island area? Or yeah, where, Rhode where Island. Are you at? Okay, I'm right in Rhode Island. Yeah, close I'll, to I'll, Rhode say, Island. I'll, I'll I'll because I, I'm prefacing that because 
outside of taps and, and ghost hunters and stuff like that, I seem to know a lot of people from the Rhode Island area who are huh. really into paranormal. Is that just like, we're the, we're the smallest state in the union. Let's just find something to be known for. Let's all just do paranormal stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. what the heck's going on there in Rhode Island? No, I don't <laughs> think so. I think it has more to do with New England. Right. Um, the history in New England is really, when you think about it, besides, I guess, Jamestown. Um, and if you want to go some of the, you know, Spanish exploration down south, really the history of New England is the the founding of this continent, right? Uh, right. North America, as we know mm-hmm. it. So the history is very rich. It's very old as far as American history goes and European settlement and all that. A lot of old buildings and stuff. Yeah. So there was a lot of bloodshed in New England. Um, mm-hmm. There's a revolution war. There was a, uh, a King Philip's war here, which was very bloody. Uh, where I actually live is all fought here. So you've got things like the Bridgewater Triangle where people believe it might be remnants of all the loss of life that happened here. Um, You've got the Salem Witch Trials. So you've got this rich history Mm -hmm. and it just kind of, I think, whether you believe in this type of thing or not, it kind of sets itself up for at least tales of ghosts wandering around, right? Probably more so than like, I don't know. There's just more history here. There's there's a longer history here than there would be in like California or or you know pushing out west, the expansion out west. It's just newer history. So you've got this old really history going back to the pilgrims and a lot of bloodshed, and it kind of sets itself up for tales of of ghosts and stuff. Yeah. So and uh, you you do a uh, a couple of podcasts. One of them is uh, what is it? P for paranormal. Yeah, that's um, the only one I do now. Um, the other one is I don't do anymore. Monsterland. Okay. Uh, so it's called Rated P for Paranormal. Yeah. Okay, and it's, that's me, it, yeah. it's me and uh, Anthony Arkin, who is, do you know the actor Alan Arkin, the, yeah. the older actor, Academy Award winner? It's yeah. it's his son. And okay. A- Adam's brother? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Adam's his brother. Yep. Um, yeah. And so Anthony is a, is a actor and filmmaker in his own right. And he's a cinephile. He's an expert because he grew up on sets. So, and right. he's also passionate about the paranormal. So what we do is we rate and review anything on television or film that is paranormally themed. And it's really a, a fun way to do a movie review podcast, basically. But we just right. picks, we pick movies that exclusively deal with paranormal issues. It's okay. Fun. Yeah. And what, what's your uh, favorite uh, uh focus on paranormal like do you have something like whether it's ufos whether it's sasquatch whether it's uh you know ghost hunting what yeah like what what is your favorite uh area of focus absolutely um the spiritual side of things you know mm-hmm. um the whole thing started with me as a young kid because my grandmother had a uh which a ghost in her house and her tales from ireland about prophetic dreams, people in her family that had dreams and things would come true. And then I had one when I was a kid. So I've always been very sensitive to um, something going on after we pass, after we leave these bodies, you know? So that's my main area of interest. It's bled in over the years to UFO and, and Bigfoot is fun and all that. But my real core interest is um, life after death and, and, um, apparitions and things like that because it's like a quest for faith for me it's like if that exists then what else exists it, it's right. it's faith affirming for me it's a, it's a search for god kevin burns used to say that about oak island actually kevin burns used to say oak island and ancient aliens at their core are like a search for god you're looking for answers yeah. to things that seem unanswerable 
And it's validating when you find things that, well, if that exists, what else exists? So if I can see an apparition and I believe what I saw to be true, then it opens a whole world of what else is possible. So that's, that's what I love about it. You know, um, you think about the movie uh, Arrival with Jodie Foster. Not Arrival. It was, uh, um, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, con- uh, Contact? Contact. That's what I'm was talking about. And Arrival and they, was with, Arri- yeah, with Yeah, it was, Arrival was a great movie. Uh, I'm thinking about Contact, where they depict, you know, the, these uh, religious zealots of being all up in arms because they're discovering life outside of our our planet and i'm thinking to myself it's really an I, I first of all i i believe there's probably some people that wouldn't react that way i don't think that would be the the overarching uh way that christians would react to that i think if anything if you are a true believer it's proving the existence of god that he created the whole entire universe mm-hmm. because it was if if this whole entire giant universe and life just ended up on earth accidentally as a lot of atheists think that, you know, crap just fell out of the sky and possibly from Mars and landed here. And the breeding ground was just right to, you know, spawn off something and a tadpole became a monkey became (laughs) us and stuff like this. I mean, I mean, to me, you have to really stretch your, your belief to, to go to that level. But I think that, that finding life on other planets would prove the existence of God because it was, it's showing that he created all life and, and, and the whole entire universe, if, if nothing else. Um, so I've always just been fascinating. I mean, I've had, I grew up with a ghost in my house as well. Oh, and wow. I, I don't know that. And we had, it, he had a sense of humor. He would, I mean, while we were in the kitchen, like the, the, the knob on the stove would turn up while my mother was cooking. We could watch the knob, like turn up and try to burn the food. He'd knock Incredible. pictures off the wall and stuff like this. Same with my like, grandmother. So, but I don't know that that is what necessarily got me interested in the the unknown. It's just the overarching thing of of uh, you know I I, w- I was into astronomy when I was a kid. Uh, I was really into you know ancient Egypt. I was into uh, you know ghosts and stuff like that because of my house. But it's it's things that science has yet to prove or disprove. It's just unknown right has always fascinated me it's like there there's information and there's a lot of information a lot of data to talk about and to show and do this and do that but there's nothing that has a definitive conclusion we don't have a definitive conclusion that we found beings like us on planet xyz we don't you know there's not a a a bigfoot doing a podcast or an interview we don't have <laughs> not uh, yet. you know you know like i said there's there's been plenty of shows out there that document document life after death and and spirits and apparitions and we can see them right now, thank thankfully now thanks to some of these tv shows we can actually physically see that there is energy and life after death we don't just die and fade away and there's nothing you get you know evps and stuff like this you hear voices coming out of nowhere you can see figures to me that's just you know amazing when when there, there there's and and to me still that's unknown yeah. even though we can see it it's still unknown so that's what fascinates me about that stuff and yeah. bigfoot still like I, I i'm i'm agnostic with bigfoot right mm. i just find it fascinating and shows like expedition bigfoot they just do such a great job 
um, of, of the, you know, the, the hunt and the data and trying to put science to things and, um, you know, mixed in with things. So I think they do a great job with, with their show as well. But, um, so have you ever gotten into doing any ghost hunting stuff? Yes. Um, I try not to do like ghost hunting, like as it's portrayed on television. Well, paranormal um, investigating, I guess. Yeah, is yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, more, more, more like that, and availing myself to people who, I would say, like I tend more into spiritual advisor for people, like or advocate for people, uh, even just someone that they can come to and I'll believe their story, right. and they can share things with me, and then I can give them my experience on how to handle certain situations. Um, I did get into kind of the squatch world with my other podcast. Uh, actually, I was asked to be on that show, Expedition Bigfoot. Oh, really? And and couldn't because of my association with, oh, God, I was just too busy. Right. And I was doing a podcast at the time with Ronnie LeBlanc, who's uh, on yeah, that show. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, we don't do it anymore. And I I, I gave them his name. Um, and he also knew Bob Gimlin. Gimlin uh, also knew Ronnie and, and gave them his name. So I'm, I feel like I, I'm, I root for that show. You know what I mean? Cause right. uh, I, 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 it's, they go about it the right way. And yeah. Ronnie and I actually had an incredible experience in Ohio on a squatch hunt where we experienced something. Um, we were looking for Bigfoot out in the woods at a very popular Bigfoot location where people see it a lot. And, um, and we had an orb experience, a very paranormal, like, orb anomaly experience and it turned into two, two little red lights almost like eyes at about eight feet through the tree line and we're all you can wow. hear us we were recording it on our iphone you can hear us going oh my god look at that oh we all saw it at the same time <laughs> right so i i walked away from that feeling like there there's more something paranormal to the bigfoot experience which i don't know what to do with that but you you make the best point is that there's nothing in any of this stuff that would harm my faith in any way. In fact, it would only increase it. Cause as my now podcast partner, Tony Arkin, like say, it's open all night, man. Anything's possible. If that's, that's true, yep. if that is true, then anything's possible. And I was used to say that, you know, one day that all the mysteries of the world and all of our questions will be answered when we pass on. But then I have this other side of me that says, maybe they won't because maybe we won't care. <laughs> you know, right, right. We, yeah. we get to yeah. heaven or something like that. And we're like, you know, you know, what? I just don't care now. This yeah. is great where I'm at. You know, why, why do I care about what happened on earth, you know, a thousand yeah. years ago, whatever. Yeah. Right. Uh, Your I pure think that's spirit. Just, you yes. have a different list of concerns, I would imagine. Exactly. Um, I just want to talk to you briefly about your, you know, because I know you, you like me, you're, I, I'm, I love golf, right? I, <laughs> I don't play near as much as I'd love to play. Uh, I'm just too busy to, to do so, but um, I just, I love the game. Um, I'm, you know, probably, I'm, I'm probably better than average, but I'm, I don't consider myself a great golfer. I used, I was better when I was younger. As you get older, you kind of, you know, lose a little bit. And especially mm-hmm. when you don't play as much, you lose a little bit, but, um, and you travel around a lot. Yeah. So where is your favorite place to play golf? Or do you have a one favorite course that you like to play? Yeah. So I have like my, I call it my rosebud, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, like Citizen Kane. Um, it's called uh, Green Harbor Golf Club. It's here in uh, New England. It's in okay. southeastern Massachusetts on the coast. Um, it's where I first held a golf club. It's where all my childhood memories are of being around golf and um, kind of here, you know, worshiping my dad. And it was like a very grown up thing that I couldn't access, you know, for most of my childhood. But in those rare moments when he'd let me Back then it was different, you know, golf was different in the seventies and eighties. It was very stuffy and like 
It seemed like an adult thing. No, no one I knew played golf. Like kids didn't play golf, at least where I grew up, it seemed like. Right. So I, I just love that course. I still play it to this day. It's not the hardest course in the world, not the longest, um, but it's just a very special place to me. It's, it's so many memories. And so that's where I try to go whenever I can. Um, but I belong to a club here for a long time. And I'm, um, I take my clubs with me whenever I can, wherever I go. And if I got a day off, cause you know, it's a very positive thing you can do on the road. I even did it back when I was traveling as the working actor that I was talking about earlier in the podcast, idle hands of the devil's playground. And if I can right. go out, be outside doing something positive, meeting new people, I've met the most wonderful people in all kinds of situations, filming beyond filming other shows I've done. And just the day off I have, I'm going golf and I call the course. I find the best local course. I say, I'm a single, I'm here shooting something. Can I come out? Yeah, come on out. I'll pair you with this guy. We'll pair you with the assistant pro. And I've just met, I've, I've got friends to this day from that. Yeah. No, I mean, that's you always, uh, golf courses is, is a great place to not just meet friends, but to do business also, you know what I mean? Yeah. To, Close deals to, to, you know, strike up new business relationships and stuff like that. Um, there's something magical about being on the golf course or something. There is. My favorite uh, golf course that I've probably ever played. Well, I don't say that I've ever played that I, that I've played multiple times is uh, called legacy and it's uh, in Sarasota, Florida. So I know oh. you, you've been making a lot of trips to Florida. So if you ever find yeah. yourself in Sarasota, I think I know it. Okay. It's, it's is that a, the one that has a different, it's like a tribute hole. No, oh, okay. um, it's a, it's an Arnold Palmer uh, course and it's in okay. Lake Lakewood ranch uh, division of Sarasota. Okay. So, okay. Um, there's a, there's a Lakewood ranch country club, but then there's, there's a course called legacy. It's very, to me, very challenging. Uh, you know, now meet with me, I can shoot anywhere from, you know, 85 to 95. And that's kind of like my range. Um, like you said, probably better than average, but not that great yep. of a golfer. Um I've yet to break 90 on that course. And I've, I've mm -hmm. shot exactly 90. <laughs> and I'm like, times, right? I, I, it'd be like going into the 18th hole. And like, I just need a bogey to shoot an 89 and I'll be happy. And I get a double bogey. I'm like, Oh, uh, this foils me. Yeah, you know? Yeah. So if you're ever in Sarasota, you got to look great. up like legacy, and, legacy and go play that course. I, I know it's somehow, but I, I can't think of how I know it. Someone is definitely, I have some connection there. So I, I actually worked in golf for a little while. Um, I did a, I, did a job for golf channel. I hosted a thing for golf channel called the golf detective. And then I had my own golf show actually on an upstart golf network wow. called back nine. Um, I did a daily talk show about golf called off par with Maddie Blake was on direct TV. The network only lasted about 10 months and they ran out of money. They were trying to compete with golf channel. So I got to play some really cool places. Um, I got to play, you know, uh, TPC Sawgrass and hit, hit a ball into the Island green on that part three. And so it, it's been, wow. it's been quite a journey, but yeah, my favorite little course is a little nondescript public course called green Harbor. That's where my heart <laughs> is. Well, that's cool. So, um, okay. So what else do you have coming up? I mean, I know you're a very, very busy guy. You still got, we, um, I mean, all the beyond Oak islands have been, uh, filmed yep. and they're yet to come out. Um, yep. And the, you got the kickoff for season 10 of Oak Island coming up and all the drilling downs there. Yes. Uh, but what, uh, what do you personally have uh, coming up on your radar? I mean, right now it's, it's all about kind of doing what I have to do to wrap up what you're watch what you're about to watch now. And this is a little confusing. I know cause it's out of time. All right. But, but what you're about to watch in season 10 is kind of wrapping up now. Right. You're, you know, the so, end of the season, right. 
so that's my immediate focus is things have to happen. Um, I'm going to be very busy in the next month or two, um, making sure that we do what has to be done to tell the complete story of what this season 10 is and has been. And it's exciting. And um, then, of course, Beyond is mostly all in the can. There's some follow-up stuff we have to do. And so that's my immediate focus. And then my labor of love is that podcast, Rated P for Paranormal. We try to do it every week. And um, if if your audience is watching this and wants an, we're audio only, though. We don't we don't release video like you do. Right. But uh, it's everywhere you pod. You know, I, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that. Uh, Rated P for Paranormal. We bang those out. Oh, I'll tease this. So one of my best friends in the world, again, through all these years of doing this, is uh, Jason Shook, who is one of the producers and showrunners of Skinwalker Ranch. Okay. And he has agreed to come on my podcast with Tony and I and really give an in-depth behind-the-scenes look of, in, in terms of a producer who's lived on the ranch through the run of that show behind the wow. scenes, and he's seen it all. Oh, yeah. Um, it's going to be a hell of an episode. It's, it's really I love something that show, too. Can't... I'm hooked on that show as well. I oh, mean, like then you're going to not want to miss this episode because you really can't <laughs> get this perspective from anyone else. This is a guy who is integral to the making of that show. He's been there for every second of it. Okay, uh, people, so you heard be... it, man. You got you to gotta subscribe to Rated P for Paranormal, definitely, Thank to, you. to keep, Thank a, you. keep an ear on that show. And uh, I want to wrap up because I know I want to be very mindful of your time. Um, and I really appreciate the time that you have spent here. But been a pleasure. And when we were talking about golf, I was half tempted to, to talk about this, but I'm gonna, just going to talk about it anyways. Do it. I, I didn't want to get too controversial. Where do you <laughs> land on the PGA live golf uh, uh, debate and, and situation? And man, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I um, Selfishly, it's taken every golfer I wasn't crazy about, except for Phil Mickelson, who I've adored. It's taken every golfer that I didn't like out of the PGA Tour. So I'm happy. <laughs> I had no interest in watching Bryson DeChambeau play golf. No interest in Brooks Kepka. He he just, I think he's kind of like everything wrong with golf in a way. Patrick Reed, not a fan. So like all these guys, I'm like, oh, good. All the... <laughs> All the guys I don't care about are gone. And I still got my speed. I still got my Rory. I still got all the guys I root for. So selfishly, there's that. I also try not to judge how people choose to make their living. I don't like that whole like, well, it's blood money from people tweeting that on their iPhone, which is made of oil. <laughs> so it's very hypocritical to me. So I don't want to be one of those voices either. So I just say to each his own, if it's, if it's for me selfishly as a fan, it's taken a lot of guys I'm not crazy about out of the league. What I'm broken hearted about is Phil because yeah. I know he's got his personal foibles. I, I've worked with people in golf who have dealt directly with him. Some love him and some aren't so crazy about him. So he's got both sides to him. There's no doubt about that. But as a fan, man, I loved watching him play and I miss him. Um, well, he, he so, is, he, he's a lot like Tiger where uh, you know, there's so many people that just don't like Tiger Woods, but he's, you love him or hate him. Um, I, I like Tiger uh, a lot. Um, what do you I, think about Liv? What's your stance? Well, you have a really interesting uh, perspective on it because I'd never really thought about that because there are a lot of people in Live Golf that I really just, I mean, I'm, I'm not a Dustin Johnson fan. I didn't right. like Patrick Reed. Uh, right. I don't like Bryson DeChambeau. I do oh. kind of like Brooks Kepka. I like okay. his personality because I think he's just a funny guy. And I think, you know, I like people that are unapologetic about their personality or their behavior or like their, their you know, Fair. the way they do things. You know what I mean? Fair, yep. So I, 
I took the whole uh, Saudi thing out of the equation because I think it's kind of hypocritical from PGA people that have played in Dubai. They play in Dubai every year. Bingo. They play Bingo. in China. Um, it's like that shouldn't even be part of the equation. I, I also think about when they say, oh, well, they're just trying to cash in on money. I'm like, well, what are you doing? And you're not giving away your money in the PGA. You're Bingo. not, you know, you're still making a, a pretty decent living playing in the PGA. So I look at it this way. I, I've watched live. I really like their format and I really like their coverage of it. Um, it but that's what tears me because like I'm watching what I think to be uh, an exciting format of golf with majority of players that I don't really care for. Like right. I said, I'm, I'm a big Phil fan myself. Um, so I love Phil. And uh, so, yeah, I'm talking about that. But I have also now come across other players that I probably would have never came across uh, in in the PGA. So, you know, uh, so, and, and seeing their personalities, because you really get to know their personalities because they're front and center and they walk around, they're mic'd up and all this other stuff. And so I'm, I'm, I'm still torn between it. My, my gut is I, I love the format. I love the way they cover it. I love like how it's presented but yeah, it's sometimes it's hard to watch because it's like, you know, not only that, but you got like Dustin Johnson and, and, uh, you know, Patrick Reed playing on the same team. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, you know, I don't like rooting against people, but at the same time, like every time I see Brayson DeChambeau on there, I'm just like, I cringe sometimes, you know what I mean? I yeah. just don't like him and his personality. So it's really difficult, but I think that, I think that put it this way, I think that, that they're, they're attempting to try to get. Uh, start a women's league and if i think that if they start a women's league it's going to kill the lpga because there's already women there's already a lot of women like even annika sorenson who said she's in favor of it if they get a few named women golfers the lpga just doesn't treat their their women fairly and doesn't pay them anything i think if if live golf starts a women that might even be more successful than the men's tournament agreed i think it would be I think but, they'd um, let them do whatever they want and those LPGA restrictions would be gone that they have, like the kind of old-timey way they treat some of the women there uh, yeah. would be gone, I think, which is ironic to say because of the regime yeah. and how they treat women, but I think in the golf environment they'd let them do whatever they want. Right. Um, you make a great point, too, of the hip- hypocrisy of like, you think they'll, you so no one, none of the big money guys that are behind the PGA Tour ever made any money in oil exactly that, that shouldn't even Please. be part of the equation i will say one more thing about this before we we, we uh sign off here um well i don't understand from the fans perspective why hmm. they're so upset or gung-ho or whatever like there's some pga fans that are just so livid about not not <laughs> to have a pun there uh about <laughs> oh, golf. good one but <laughs> and i'm like why do you care mm. if uh, if you're a pga fan then watch the pga if you don't like live then don't watch it why do you care if someone else started and look if someone else like they've, they've they've tried starting other uh football leagues right the xfl right. the usfl and i don't hear people bitching and moaning about that i hear people right. just say oh it's not good it's this is that the other thing and most people just are not inclined to watch it. So don't watch live. Why do you have to be so upset about it? I mean, either, either you, you're not for it and you don't think they've got anything going and they're going to die on the vine or whatever. And don't watch it. Why do you care so passionately and and speak out against it so much? That part, I don't get the fans. Probably social media. They can look like, you know, virtuous heroes on social media by crowing about whatever issue they feel is makes them look good. I would imagine that's something to do with it. Whatever. 
anyways, hey, Maddie, I really do appreciate your time. And great uh, to meet you. To uh, to the uh, brainiacs out there, we're sorry again. The big M. This is two interviews in a row where he's uh, not with us, so uh, he apologizes for everybody. So, Maddie, where uh, where else can people find you on uh, social media? We'll throw up the the tags there on the screen there. Um, yeah, where do you want people I'm, to follow you? I have a fun Facebook page called the Maddie Blake Fan Page where I post a lot of like kind of behind the scenes Oak stuff and little videos, things like that. And then on social media, I'm at the Maddie Blake with two T's at the Maddie Blake. All right. We'll toss that stuff up. And uh, again, appreciate your time. Thanks for being Thank with you. us and uh, we'll catch you next time. Brainiacs and hopefully the big M will be in the, uh, the next interview with me. So until next time, this is Michael Cadry and Maddie Blake over there. We'll see you next time. Thanks. 